Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's my pleasure to be with you this evening. My name is Terence M. Stanton. We are recording on Sunday, April 3rd, 2022. We are continuing to look at Fatima, the great secret of Fatima, a spiritual light for our times, volume 3 by Father Carl Stellan of the Society of St. Pius X. Chapter 5, The Disclosure of the Third Secret. What is the purpose of this chapter? It is certainly not to indulge a vain curiosity, which simply wants the satisfaction of knowing the contents of an important secret. This chapter aims, rather, at a rehabilitation of the truth. The message of Our Lady has been despised and disfigured to an extreme degree, and if we know the facts about her true message, it is our duty to bring them to light, to reestablish her honor, and to make known her true wishes and requests as far, we, as far as we can discern them. Besides this, we must seek to know the contents of the secret for the sake of our own salvation. Fatima is heaven's intervention in human affairs in order to rescue us and to save from our own self-destruction. Our Lady wanted us to know about the contents of the message as long ago as 1960, and the requests written in that message are of the utmost importance for us, for the Holy Father, for the Church, for the world. If there is something we have to do to be saved, we must know about it. Therefore, it would be a crime to hide the essential points of the true secret, since Our Lady herself willed for these points to be made public over 50 years ago. Furthermore, all the words and gestures of the angel and Our Lady have a profound spiritual meaning, providing us with immense light and strength in times of darkness and isolation. Each word is another chapter of the almost forgotten Catholic Catechism and a deeper disclosure of all the mysteries of our holy faith. The same is true of the yet unrevealed part of the secret. The parallel between Fatima and the mysteries of the end times is striking. Although we know from divine revelation what will happen at the end times, we don't know when and how the end of the world will happen. Similarly, we know the essential contents of the secret, but we don't know exactly its details and circumstances, nor the exact words or sentences of Our Lady. Finally, the whole message of Fatima is the re revealed revelation, excuse me, is the revelation of the depth of the Immaculate Heart of our Heavenly Mother, and each apparition, each word of Our Lady makes us understand better how great she is, what an incredible masterpiece God created. Each apparition adds a precious stone to the crown of our Heavenly Queen, discloses her love, mercy, majesty, and almighty power of intercession. Therefore, it is obvious that the third secret will reveal to us also an aspect, perhaps even the deepest and most beautiful aspect, of the greatness of her Immaculate Heart. And because she is our last hope, and the way which leads us to heaven, the fact of keeping her message and herself hidden shows clearly that behind all this battle stands the devil himself, who before being crushed by her will lie in wait for her heel, i.e. he will try everything he can to prevent her children being able to know her entirely, and therefore loving her entirely. To try to know something of the hidden part of the secret, we will make use of six different sources that will reveal in some measure its true contents. What follows can be verified in various books written by specialists, 
who give the references when and where and in what circumstances these words have been said. Unsafe sources have not been taken into account. For example, analyses of graphology, some writings by Father Malachi Martin, articles of the journal Nuez Europa. Number one, the hierarchy. Significantly, a considerable part of what we know about the contents of the secret comes from the hierarchy of the church. These witnesses are the most important as they are mostly critical towards the message of Our Lady in Fatima and especially towards the great secret of the 13th of July. A. Popes. John XXIII read the secret on the 17th of August, 1959, according to the statement of the Vatican document of 2000. On the exterior envelope, in which the secret was kept, he ordered his secretary, Monsignor Capovia, to note, I leave to my successors the task to comment or to decide. On the 13th of May, 1960, the Pope held a meeting with some prelates to discuss the secret. The Pope himself didn't make any declaration. He simply stated, it doesn't concern the years of my pontificate. According to the testimony of Cardinal Odi, he didn't want to hear anything said about it. I would never mention it again. From Pope Paul VI, we know that he read the secret, but never spoke about it. However, to understand his attitude towards Fatima, it must be noted what he said about Sister Lucia during his pilgrimage to Fatima in 1967. She's a very simple girl, an uncomplicated peasant. The people wanted to see her, and I have shown her to them. In spite of her request, he notified Sister Lucia that he wouldn't have time to talk with her personally. Father Donis was a close friend of his, and the Pope shared his theories about Fatima. John Paul II read the secret, but never spoke about it until his sudden announcement about his decision to have the secret revealed. Pope Benedict XVI, for his statements before becoming sovereign pontiff, see below, during his visit in Fatima on the 13th of May 2010, made the following allusion. We would be mistaken to think that Fatima's prophetic mission is complete. This means that the message of Fatima concerning the future has not yet been completed and stands in contradiction to the frequent statements of Cardinal Bertone claiming that Fatima's mission concerning the future has been completed and belongs now to the past. In 2015, Professor Ingo Dollinger, a personal friend of Pope Benedict XVI, declared repeatedly that the former prefect of the Congregation of Faith had declared to him several times that the publication of the so-called Third Secret of Fatima in the Vatican Document of 2000 is not complete. However, soon after these declarations, the Vatican Press Office declared in the name of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI that he never spoke with Dollinger about Fatima. B. Cardinals Cardinal Ottaviani spoke twice about the secret, after having read it. In 1967, he said, finally, there was the third part of the things confided by the Holy Virgin. And these things she had confided to Lucia, not for herself, not for the world, at least for the time being, but for the vicar of Christ. And Lucia has kept the secret. She has not spoken, which is not to say that some haven't tried to make her speak. Yes, there are secrets of Fatima circulating, which are attributed to her. Do not believe any of them. Lucia has kept the secret. And then, what did she do to obey the Most Holy Virgin? She wrote on a sheet of paper in Portuguese what the Holy Virgin had asked her to tell the Holy Father. And the other important statement, the message was not to be opened before 1960. 
I asked Lucia why this date, and she answered me, because then it will be clearer. Cardinal Sarahara, the Patriarch of Lisbon, confided to Father Pierre Cayon, I do not know the secret. One time, Pope John XXIII spoke to me about it vaguely in a reticent way, and I understood that it concerned very grave matters. Cardinal Ratzinger publicly confirmed that he had read the secret in 1984. Why hasn't it been revealed? Because according to the judgment of the popes, it would add nothing to what a Christian must know from Revelation. A radical call to conversion, the absolute seriousness of history, the dangers threatening the faith and life of the Christian, and therefore the world, also the importance of the last times. If it is not published, at least for the moment, it is to avoid confusing religious prophecy with sensationalism, but the things contained in this secret correspond to what is announced in Scripture and are confirmed by many other Marian apparitions, beginning with the Fatima apparitions themselves and their known contents. Conversion and penance are essential conditions of salvation. November 1984. C. Bishops. John Hayford, international delegate of the Blue Army, was an intimate friend of the first bishop of Fatima, Don Jose Alves Correra da Silva. He relates a conversation with the bishop. When he was steering the conversation to the subject of the secret, told him, It is possible that it deals with world events, but also it is possible that it deals with entirely spiritual subjects. As Monsignor de Silva had not read the secret, he must have received this information from Sister Lucia herself. It is quite possible that Sister Lucia, whom he visited from time to time, had told him, at least partially, what she confided to Father Fuentes about the crisis in the church. Bishop Venancio was Auxiliary Bishop of Leiria and Fatima at the moment of the transfer of the secret to Rome. As Rome required photocopies of all the writings of Sister Lucia, he suggested to his ordinary bishop to open the secret, to read it, and to send a copy to Rome. Bishop de Silva refused. Ordered to bring all documents to the Apostolic Nuncio, he made an analysis of the envelope containing the secret, holding it in front of the light. In the bishop's large envelope, he discerned a smaller envelope, that of Sister Lucia, and inside this envelope, an ordinary sheet of paper. He took the trouble to note the size of everything. The size of the outer envelope, dated 12-9-1945, was 14.5 by 22 centimeters. The size of the inner envelope, easily visible by transparency in front of the light, was 12 by 18 centimeters. The letter inside this envelope, also visible by transparency, was itself of a smaller format, 7.5 millimeters away from the upper part and the right side. On the other sides, it fitted the size of the inner envelope. The four corners of the inner envelope were waxed. Monsignor Cosme do Amaral, Bishop of Fatima, on the 10th of September, 1984, in Vienna, Austria, denounced a fake version of the secret published in Germany at that time. The secret does not speak about atomic bombs, nuclear weapons, SS-20 missiles. Its contents only concern our faith. The loss of faith of a continent is worse than the annihilation of a nation, and it is true that faith is continually diminishing in Europe. Number two, the third and fourth memoirs of Sister Lucia. In her third memoir, Sister Lucia published the first and second parts of the secret, but said nothing about the existence or contents of the third secret. A few months later, in her fourth memoir, she decided to say more. 
she recopied almost word for word the text of the secret from the third memoir, and then added a new sentence to the final phrase, and a certain period of peace will be granted to the world. The new sentence was, in Portugal, will be conserved always the dogma of faith, etc. This is the first sentence of the final secret, and it is a significant addition. For it is certain that Sister Lucia did not insert it here out of levity, but with the specific intention of showing us in a veiled manner the essential contents of the third secret. Taking this sentence and coupling it with the quotations of the above-mentioned church authorities, we can state with Father Alonzo, the phrase most clearly implies a critical state of faith, which other nations will suffer, that is to say, a crisis of faith. If in Portugal the dogma of the faith will always be preserved, it can be clearly deduced from this that in other parts of the church, these dogmas are going to become obscure or even lost altogether. This is the general opinion of all renowned specialists of Fatima, like Father Martins dos Reyes, Father Richard Rebu, Father Messias Diaz Coleo, Father Luis Condor, Canon Galamba, Bishop Venancio, and Father Schweigel. Therefore, Our Lady speaks about the faith in the third secret, and more precisely, about a most terrible crisis of the faith. Number three, Sister Lucia. A. An important instance of paralyzed obedience. Generally, Sister Lucia was always prompt to reply when she received an order from heaven to communicate something to the world, such as devotion of the Immaculate Heart of Mary as the means of salvation in our times, the contents of the second secret, and the request for the consecration of Russia. There was, however, one exception. When she was asked to communicate a message concerning the internal life of the church and the evil within it, our Lord's first communication to Sister Lucia about evils in the church occurred on the 12th of June, 1941, and it concerned the church in Spain. He continues by lamenting other things which, in the poor world, cause him such pain. On the 12th of June, 1941, he complained especially about the coldness and laxity of the clergy of Spain, both secular and regular, and the indifference and sinful life of the Christian people. Make it known to the Archbishop that I ardently desire the bishops to meet in a retreat to arrange among themselves and determine with a common accord the means to be employed for the reform of the Christian people and to remedy the laxity of the clergy and a great part of the religious. The number of those who serve me and the practice of sacrifice is very limited. I have need of souls and of priests who serve me by sacrificing themselves for me and for souls. Our Lord likewise complains bitterly about the very limited number of souls in the state of grace disposed to give up whatever is demanded of them by the observance of his law. For the first time, Sister Lucia received a communication on the theme of the evil inside the church, a communication that was made with clarity and insistence. At the same time, heaven proposes a precise remedy for the evil denounced. Our Lord requests that the bishops do their duty to establish a necessary reform of the faithful, clergy, and religious orders, and threatens them with terrible chastisements should they not undertake a true reform. The penance that I request and require now is a sacrifice demanded of everybody by the accomplishment of their own duty and the observance of my law, continues our Lord. Throughout her life, Sister Lucia never stopped receiving new revelations and divine communications. However, one fact is worth noting. These revelations are always closely related to the messages received in 1916 and 1917. This is the reason for the perfect harmony of the themes discussed 
despite great lapses of time in their dates of composition. The subsequent communications always make reference to some phrase in the initial message. However, the message concerning the evil within the church is not found in the revealed part of the messages of Fatima, so it must be in the unrevealed part. This is confirmed by another fact. The revelation of the 12th of June, 1941, with the order of our Lord to make it known to the Archbishop, was only communicated to him after almost two years. Sister Lucia later avowed that she had hesitated a very long time before making this warning from heaven known to her directors, even when the Archbishop, whom she was to inform, visited her in November 1942, she didn't speak, in spite of the great opportuneness of this occasion to explain it to him. Timidity closed my mouth, although His Excellency had asked me three times if I had anything to explain to him. Until the present, I have not spoken of this desire of our Lord out of fear that someone might order me to reveal it. She wrote in a letter to the Bishop of Gerza some days later. In another letter, written to her former confessor, she writes about her difficulties in this point. She thanks the Bishop of Gerza because he always shows me what I must make known, as this is the most difficult thing for me to do. The fact must be stressed. Sister Lucia, who is always perfectly, instantly obedient in the communication of messages received from heaven, experienced an extreme reluctance in revealing messages concerning the disorders in the church, especially when they are accusatory of the clergy and the hierarchy. This is the only topic which causes her immense stress, makes her hesitate for a long time, and demands special assistance from outside for the revelation. In this instance, the encouragement of her former confessor. The words, he always shows me what I must make known, as this is the most difficult thing for me to do, clearly refer to the message, which is not yet known, and which Our Lady had not yet permitted her to reveal. B. The writing down of the third secret. Later in the same year, Sister Lucia became seriously ill. Alarmed by this and by the insistence of many priests, Bishop de Silva gave her the formal order to write down the third secret. In a letter written in the middle of October 1943, as always, Sister Lucia was convinced that by obeying her superiors, she was obeying God. She was prepared to obey in a filial spirit and submissively. However, from October to the end of December, she continued to experience unspeakable anguish. Indeed, as she took up her pen, she found herself incapable of writing. When she asked her confessor for advice, she told him that she had wanted to obey several times, that she had sat down to write without being able to, and she added that this phenomenon was not due to natural causes. It needed a special apparition of Our Lady on the 2nd of January, 1944, to dispel the seer's darkness and put an end to her painful trial. Father Alonso makes the following remarks on Sister Lucia's trial. How are we to understand Sister Lucia's great difficulty in writing the final part of the secret when she had already written other things that were extremely difficult to put down? Had it been merely a matter of prophesying new and severe punishments, Sister Lucia would not have experienced difficulties so great that a special intervention from heaven was needed to overcome them. The parallel with Sister Lucia's difficulties in writing about the Spanish clergy is striking. Father Alonso continues, But if it were a matter of internal strife within the church and of serious pastoral negligence on the part of high-ranking members of the hierarchy, 
We could understand how Lucia experienced a repugnance that was almost impossible to overcome by natural means. C. The transmission of the secret. The extreme care that Sister Lucia took to pass the third secret on safely to its proper recipient is a new indication of the exceptional importance she attached to this document. First, she put it in an envelope sealed with wax. Then she refused to entrust the envelope to the post office or to any messenger other than a bishop. She waited several months for the right occasion to see that it reached Bishop de Silva securely. Finally, on the 17th of June, 1944, Monsignor Ferreira de Silva, Bishop of Gerza, met Sister Lucia, who gave him her notebooks, in which she put the envelope with the third secret. That same evening, the bishop placed the envelope into the hands of Bishop de Silva. D. Conversation with Father Fuentes. Other events took place which must have alarmed Sister Lucia. In February 1946, Sister Lucia was informed about the campaign against the message of Fatima, provoked by the criticism of Father Donis. The interrogations to which she was submitted made it clear to her that more and more priests and bishops doubted the veracity of her testimony, and this because of their modernist convictions. During these years, she also tried to make known to the Holy Father that the consecration of Russia had not yet been accomplished according to the wishes of Our Lady. On the 2nd of September, 1952, Pope Pius XII sent Father Joseph Schweigel to interrogate Sister Lucia about the third secret. And on the 17th of May, 1955, Cardinal Ottaviani met her. After this meeting, she received interdiction of publishing her writings and was forbidden to receive visitors without the permission of the Holy See. The last published interview before this interdiction was the one with Father Lombardi on the 7th of February, 1954, where Sister Lucia strongly stated, There are many who damn themselves. Many, many. The Mexican, Father Augustin Fuentes, was freshly appointed postulator for the causes of beatification of Francisco and Jacinta, and for that purpose he was able to meet Sister Lucia on the 26th of December, 1957. A report of this meeting was published some weeks later in 1958 in Mexico, with the imprimatur of his ordinary bishop, Monsignor Sanchez, Archbishop of Veracruz. In this report, Sister Lucia states, Father, the Most Holy Virgin is very sad because no one has paid any attention to her message, neither the good nor the bad. The good continue on their way, but without giving any importance to her message. The bad, not seeing the punishment of God actually falling on them, continue their life of sin without even caring about the message. But believe me, Father... God will chastise the world, and this will be in a terrible manner. The punishment from heaven is imminent. Tell them, Father, that many times the Most Holy Virgin told my cousins Francisco and Jacinta, as well as me, that many nations will disappear from the face of the earth. She said that Russia will be the instrument of chastisement chosen by heaven to punish the whole world if we do not obtain the conversion of that poor nation beforehand. Father, the devil is in the mood for engaging in a decisive battle against the Blessed Virgin, and the devil knows what it is that most offends God, and what in a short space will gain him the greatest number of souls. Thus the devil does everything to overcome souls consecrated to God, because in this way the devil will succeed in ensnaring the souls of the faithful abandoned by their leaders. Thereby, the more easily will he seize them. That which afflicts the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Heart of Jesus is the fall of religious and priestly souls. The devil knows that religious and priests who fall away from their beautiful vocation drag numerous souls to hell. 
The devil wishes to take possession of consecrated souls. He tries to corrupt, corrupt them in order to lull to sleep the souls of lay people and thereby lead them to final impenitence. Resulting from this is the sterility of the interior life and among the lay people, coldness regarding the subject of renouncing pleasures and the total dedication of themselves to God. Tell them also, Father, that my cousins Francisco and Jacinta sacrificed themselves because in all the apparitions of the Most Holy Virgin, they always saw her very sad. This sadness, this anguish, which we noted in her penetrated our souls. This sadness is caused by the offenses against God and the punishments which menace sinners. Father, that is why my mission is not to indicate to the world the material punishments which are certain to come if the world does not pray and do penance beforehand. No, my mission is to indicate to everyone the imminent danger we are in of losing our souls for all eternity if we remain obstinately in sin. Father, we should not wait for the call of the Holy Father to do penance, nor should we wait for the call to penance to come from our bishops and our diocese, nor from the religious congregations. No, our Lord has already very often used these means and the world has not paid attention. That is why now it is necessary for each one of us to begin to reform himself spiritually. Each person must not only save his own soul, but also all the souls that God has placed on our path. Father, the Most Holy Virgin did not tell me that we are in the last times of the world, but she made me understand this for three reasons. The first reason is because she told me that the devil is in the mood for engaging in a decisive battle against the Virgin. And a decisive battle is the final battle where one side will be victorious and the other side will suffer defeat. The second reason is because she said to my cousins, as well as to me, that God is giving two last remedies to the world. These are the Holy Rosary and devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. These are the last two remedies, which signify that there will be no others. The third reason is because in the plans of divine providence, God always, before he is about to chastise the world, exhausts all other remedies. Now, when he sees that the world pays no attention whatsoever, then, as we say in our imperfect manner of speaking, he offers us with certain trepidation the last means of salvation, his most holy mother. It is with certain trepidation because if we despise and repulse this ultimate means, we will not have any more forgiveness from heaven because we will have committed a sin which the gospel calls the sin against the Holy Spirit. This sin consists in openly rejecting with full knowledge and consent the salvation which he offers. Let us remember that Jesus Christ is a very good son and that he does not permit that we offend and despise his most holy mother. We have recorded through many centuries of church history, the obvious testimony, which demonstrates by the terrible chastisements which have befallen those who have attacked the honor of his most holy mother, how our Lord Jesus Christ has always defended the honor of his mother. Look, Father, the most holy virgin in these last times in which we live has given a new efficacy to the recitation of the rosary to such an extent that there is no problem, no matter how difficult it is, whether temporal or above all spiritual, in the personal life of each one of us, of our families, of the families of the world, or of the religious communities, or even of the life of peoples and nations that cannot be solved by the rosary. With the Holy Rosary, we save ourselves. We will sanctify ourselves. We will console our Lord and obtain the salvation of many souls. This interview was published in 1958 with an imprimatur. Almost one and a half years later, on the 2nd of July, 1959, the Curia of Coimbra 
attacked Father Fuentes by claiming that he invented most of this interview. At the same time, he was dismissed from being the postulator of the cause of beatification of Jacinta and Francisco. It is, however, important to notice that, one, this document was not signed by the bishop. Two, there is no testimony, neither oral nor written, from Sister Lucia herself, which confirms the declaration of the curia. Three, Father Alonso proves that the texts of this interview correspond with many other texts written or said in other occasions, books, letters, and interviews. Why then such a strong reaction to this text? First, this text placed Sister Lucia among the prophets of doom, whom John XXIII condemned in his speech at the opening of the council. The Pope, therefore, must not have liked what she was saying. Regardless, and this is most important for our discussion, Sister Lucia revealed certain details of the third secret in this interview. E. The latest possible publication of the secret in 1960. Sister Lucia indicated a date for the revelation of the third secret when she learned that Bishop de Silva, to whom she had entrusted it, did not plan to open it. When the bishop refused to open the letter, Lucia made him promise that it would definitely be opened and read to the world, either at her death or in 1960, whichever would come first, Canon Galambra. Many other testimonies confirm this statement. You have already made known two parts of the secret. When will the time arrive for the third part? I communicated the third part in a letter to the Bishop of Leiria, but it cannot be made known before 1960. Interview with Father Yongin, 4th of February, 1946. From the two parts of the secret already revealed, the third part has not been made known, but it has been written and placed in a sealed envelope and will be opened in 1960. We know enough to enable us to conclude that the salvation of the world in this extraordinary moment of history has been placed by God in the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Cardinal Sarah Hera, 7th of September, 1946. When will the third secret, excuse me, when will the third element of the secret be revealed to us? In 1960. Why is it necessary to wait until then? Because the Blessed Virgin wishes it so. Canon Barthas, 17th of October, 1946. The message was not to be opened before 1960. I asked Sister Lucia why this date. She answered, because then it will seem clearer. Cardinal Ottaviani, 17th of May, 1955. Father, how much time is there before 1960 arrives? It will be very sad for everyone. Not one person will rejoice at all if the world does not pray and do penance beforehand. I am not able to give any other details because it is still a secret. According to the will of the Most Holy Virgin, only the Holy Father and the Bishop of Fatima are permitted to know the secret, but they have chosen not to know it so that they will not be influenced. This is the third part of the message of Our Lady, which will remain secret until 1960. Father Fuentes, 26th of December, 1957. Similar statements were made by Cardinal Tisserant, 1956, Cardinal Piazza, Bishop Venancio, Father Schweigel, and many other prelates. All these most authoritative testimonies previous to 1960 are perfectly clear and in agreement. They all predict the disclosure of the third secret in 1960. All of the testimonies reporting to us Sister Lucia's repeated declarations lead us to a most important conclusion. Heaven desired and willed that Our Lady's final secret be believed and divulged in 1960 at the latest, for then it will seem clearer. It is hence clear that this date of 1960 was mentioned by Our Lady. 
This is because the Blessed Virgin would surely not communicate a secret and wanted to remain always a secret. And as she also asked for this secret to be kept, she necessarily decided on a date to reveal the secret. Yet the date which Sister Lucia kept on giving was the date of 1960. As it is inconceivable that she invented it, this date could only be determined by the Blessed Virgin. It is striking to note the perfect coincidence between the date given by Sister Lucia from 1944 and the official convocation of the Second Vatican Council. 25th of January, 1959, announcement of the date for the start of the Council. 1960, date indicated by Our Lady for the revelation of the Third Secret. 25th of December, 1961, convocation of the Council Fathers to the Council. 11th of October, 1962, opening of the Council. Our Lady asked that the secret be read publicly at the latest, just before the Pope was about to engage the Church on a path which would lead her to a crisis unprecedented in her history. After the announcement convoking the Council, during two and a half years, the preparatory commissions had to elaborate the documents, schemas, which would be discussed during the Council. The revelation of the Third Secret would have been an important guidance for the preparatory commissions. But at the same time, the Pope himself and many hierarchs were full of optimism about this upcoming event, which they considered like a new Pentecost. The Pope lifted the previous condemnations of Pius XII of the most influential modernist theologians like Karl Rahner, Yves Congar, Henri de Lubac, etc. Furthermore, he allowed them to become experts of the Council Fathers. The publication of the Third Secret would have been like a supreme gesture of Our Lady to prevent the upcoming disaster. She would seem to say, be careful, you are about to make a mistake. If she wanted to stop future disasters while at the same time respecting human free will, she could not have chosen a better date than 1960. It was not too late at that time to back out of a fatal course. Now we have seen above that Pope John XXIII declared, this is not for the years of my pontificate. To make such a judgment, the Pope must have understood that the secret includes a message in strict opposition to his action or his thoughts. Yet it is well known that John XXIII was convinced about a rebirth for the Church and a new Pentecost for Christianity. Refusing all thoughts to the contrary, he lashed out the following verdict against the prophets of doom in his opening speech at the Council. It seems necessary to us to express our complete disagreement with the prophets of doom, who are always announcing catastrophes as if the world was about to end. Since he had such high hopes for the future, any predictions of a sharp decrease in religious practice or a crisis of faith and vocations unprecedented in church history must have been intolerable for him. If the secret was simply mentioning 1960 as the start of a widespread apostasy, there would also be no doubt, no shadow of doubt, in John XXIII's mind that it wasn't for his pontificate, precisely because he had just summoned a council whose result would be a new springtime for the church. Of this, he was absolutely certain. The impressive chronological precision for the revelation of the secret was probably the reason behind the tenacity of Cardinal Bertone to prove that this date had been invented by Sister Lucia. But his efforts were pointless because the probability that she chose on her own power and 15 years in advance, a date falling precisely between the first official announcement of the council And its real start, undoubtedly one of the most dramatic moments of the Church's history, is absolutely null. Such prophetical precision can only come from heaven. It is interesting that the biography of Sister Lucia 
published recently by the Carmel and Coimbra, had written tangentially to be a complementary proof of the official Vatican document, contains the chapter, Our Lady Gives Her Enlightenment. Quoting Sister Lucia, it is clearly Our Lady who said that in 1960 the letter can be open. This fact alone, published by those who are won over by the cause of the modernist Fatima interpretation, is a striking proof of the blunt lies of Cardinal Bertone, discrediting everything that he claimed or wrote about the statements of Sister Lucia, including the official document of the year 2000. Finally, it is hard to imagine that the Blessed Virgin did not mention one way or another the change which Vatican II was about to initiate in the Church, as the Council made important decisions in complete opposition to her message. F. The Correspondence of Sister Lucia Just before being silent, Sister Lucia wrote, We must pray a great deal and beg God not to chastise us, and to save us in time and for eternity, 28th of June, 1958. We are in the process of praying, asking God for peace, not only the peace of the nation, but also the peace for disoriented minds and peace of consciences. May God give light to the blind and humility to the proud, so that they see the good road and depart from the evil one, 29th of September, 1958. After a long period of imposed silence, in 1973, some letters of Sister Lucia written from 1969 to 1971 were published under the title, A Little Treatise on the Nature and the Recitation of the Rosary. In fact, all these letters are more like a treatise on the crisis in the church, a description of the diabolical disorientation which leads so many souls astray. What some disoriented souls have spread against the recitation of the rosary is false. The repetition of the Ave Maria, Pater Noster, and Gloria Patri is the chain that lifts us right up to God and unites us to him, just as eating bite after bite of bread from which we nourish ourselves sustains the natural life in us. Nobody calls that outdated. This is, disorientation is diabolical. Do not let yourself be deceived. 29th of December, 1969. It is necessary not to be led by the doctrines of disoriented disputants. The campaign against the rosary is diabolical. We must tell souls that now more than ever, we must pray for ourselves and for those who are against us. We must recite the rosary every day. This is the prayer which Our Lady recommended the most, as if to arm us in advance for seeing these days of diabolical campaigning. The devil knows that we shall save ourselves through prayer. Hence, he leads his campaign against it to destroy us. People must recite the rosary every day. Our Lady repeated this in all her apparitions, as if to arm us in advance against these times of diabolical disorientation, so that we would not let ourselves be fooled by false doctrines, and that through prayer, the elevation of our souls to God would not be diminished. Unfortunately, in religious matters, the people, for the most part, are ignorant and follow wherever they are led. Hence the great responsibility of those who have the duty of leading them. This is a diabolical disorientation invading the world and misleading souls. It is necessary to stand up to it. 13th of April, 1971. Poor Lord, he has saved us with so much love and he has so little understood, so little loved, so badly served. It is painful to see such a great disorientation and in so many persons who occupy places of responsibility. It is because the devil has succeeded in infiltrating evil under the cover of good and the blind are beginning to guide others. As the Lord tells us in his gospel, and souls are letting themselves be deceived. Gladly, I sacrifice myself and offer my life to God for peace in his church, for priests, and for all consecrated souls, especially for those who are so deceived and misled. And the worst is that he has succeeded in leading into error and deceiving souls, having a heavy responsibility through the place which they occupy. They are blind men guiding other blind men, 16th of September, 1970. 
In December 1971, Sister Lucia wrote about the insistence with which she recommended the prayer of the rosary to us so many times. It is because she already knew that these times would come, during which the devil and his supporters would fight so much against this prayer to lead souls away from God. The decadence which exists in the world is without any doubt the consequence of the lack of the spirit of prayer. Foreseeing this disorientation, the Blessed Virgin recommended recitation of the rosary with such insistence. And since the rosary is, after the Holy Eucharistic liturgy, the prayer most apt for preserving souls and faith, preserving faith in souls, the devil has unleashed his struggle against it. Unfortunately, we see the disasters he has caused. We must defend souls against the errors which can make them stray from the good road. We cannot and we must not stop ourselves, nor allow, as our Lord says, the children of darkness to be wiser than the children of light, 26th of November, 1970. To summarize, one can say that ever since she had written down the third secret, Sister Lucia continually returns to the same theme with the term diabolical disorientation, repeated many times in most of the letters she wrote to her family members until her absolute and total silencing in 1974. Equally, she spoke of the supporters of the devil, the cowardice and fear of the good, etc. Why does she, what does she mean by diabolical disorientation? It is the loss of countless souls because of this crisis of faith and the failure of pastors. Father Alonzo had at hand all the writings from Sister Lucia and the minutes of all conversations she had with public personalities. Here is his conclusion. It is therefore completely probable that the text of the Third Secret makes concrete references to the crisis of faith within the church and to the negligence of the pastors themselves. He speaks further of internal struggles in the very bosom of the church and of grave pastoral negligence by the upper hierarchy, of deficiencies of the upper hierarchy of the church. Oremos. Prayer for the hastening of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God and our tender mother, look upon the distress in which the whole of mankind is living due to the spread of materialism, godlessness, and the persecution of the Catholic faith. In our own day, the mystical body of Christ is bleeding from so many wounds caused within the church by the unpunished spread of heresies, the justification of sins against the Sixth Commandment, the seeking of the kingdom of earth rather than that of heaven, the horrendous sacrileges against the Most Holy Eucharist, especially through the practice of communion in the hand and the Protestant shaping of the celebration of the Holy Mass. Amidst these trials appeared the light of the consecration of Russia to thine immaculate heart by the Pope, in union with the world's bishops. In Fatima, thou didst request the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays of the month. Implore thy divine Son to grant a special grace to the Pope that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. May Almighty God hasten the time when Russia will convert to Catholic unity, mankind will be given a time of peace, and the Church will be granted an authentic renewal in the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of divine worship, and the holiness of Christian life. O Mediatrix of all graces, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary, and our sweet Mother, turn thine eyes of mercy towards us and graciously hear this our trusting prayer. Amen. By Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Prayer to St. Joseph for Purity by Father Donald Calloway. St. Joseph, strong spiritual father, defend me against sins of the flesh. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. St. Joseph, terror of demons, protect me from lust, immoral desires in my heart, and impure actions in my body. Help me not to offend God. Here and now I chain myself to you and sacrifice everything for the good, the true, and the beautiful. I love you, St. Joseph, and I thank you for being my spiritual father. Amen. Rigo potens, ora pro nobis, sancti Osef, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis, in nomine patris et filii et spiritus sancti, amen. 
Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to this episode of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Once again, my name is Terrence M. Stanton. Please share this podcast with everyone you know. And please pray for the eternal salvation of Pope Francis and that he will reveal the entirety of the third secret of Fatima, whatever it might be, and promulgate to the people the practice of the first five Saturdays devotion of reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Pray that rosary every single day, my friends. Goodbye, and God love you.